0: I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show
1: because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com.
0: Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
1: What part of Grand Central Market this is. <laughs> this is a secret like, office. Like this the, <laughs> the secret. Room. The secret office of Grand Central Market. We're here with Sarah Kramer and Sarah Hymanson of Mad Capra. Welcome to Snacky Tunes.
2: Really? Happy Thanks to be here. Thanks for
1: having us. Um, thank you for opening up what is maybe one of if not the best falafel place downtown and um, in the greater parts
2: let's, let's hope, that's the case. I hope that's the case certainly at least downtown <laughs>
1: <laughs> you never know once you get to like the weird like like more like smaller ethnic pockets of,
3: totally. Totally. of LA well, we like to think we do something different yeah we're a slightly different breed of falafel place but uh, you know we like to uh, put ourselves in a slightly different category because we think the two are just like not exactly comparable but we love old school falafel
1: oh yeah what what do you consider old school falafel?
2: Like your like classic. classic greasy. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, pita pocket, yeah. cucumbers, tahini, tomato, lettuce, a lot of lettuce, or like purple huh. cabbage. Oasis. No, oh, wait, that, so. that's like a little bit. No. That's not quite classic. I think it's pretty. No, no no, no, no. For those who well, don't like know, here yeah. Arocs, like falafel Arocs. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Pickles. Yeah. Some stuff.
1: So, uh, like me, you two are. Um, New York Transplants. We are. Um, and you two both started, well, not like me, but you two both started in fine dining.
3: Um, yeah, I, I certainly did. You started a little bit more casual than more went fine, yep. um, but we both worked at Blue Hill and Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Um, and different s- times. Different times. It was actually my first cooking job
2: 10 years ago um, at Stone Barns right out of culinary school. And I initially worked at this place called Applewood. Um, in Park Slope, which is now closed. It was open for 10 years. Wow. Um, very, very so yeah, seasonal. But, you know... Maybe time. Time. I just talked to the chef yesterday about it.
1: Are there times, I mean, when restaurants, like, it's still love, it still does well, but it's time to close it? Yeah, absolutely.
2: That was, like, this chef had moved away from the city, and he was trying to run it a little bit from afar, and it ran its course. It was a great, like, beloved restaurant and 10 years is a long time it's a long time time to move on and also if
3: it doesn't like make sense with your personal lifestyle anymore and like where you're at in your own life and you have to like make sure that that's all in line
1: you know that's an interesting point of just you know especially from what your backgrounds are in fine dining but opening up this more casual fluff restaurant and then also with blast arena the restaurants under your belts um how much of the restaurant needs to be who you
2: are I think I mean a, not, lot of, a lot. I of think that the the quality really suffers if it isn't, and you can see very clearly when restaurants are opened and they're a, sh- a shell instead of filled with someone's sounds sort of cheesy, but like without a soul.
1: Yeah, where yeah. someone goes like, I've never made pizza, but I'm going to open up a here's pizza the- restaurant.
2: Yeah, that or like when someone does have
3: soul in the beginning, and then you know either they like lose it over time because of you know apathy or distance or whether they lose it over time because they've gotten too big um you know and they've like kind of moved on from their their location and and you see that lack i think at a certain point unless you're able to like really maintain it in a way like
2: um, put really good people in place who share your vision and integrity that's the goal
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's so authenticity integrity all of that
2: yeah I mean,
3: I think authentic to who we are. Um, I think we would never claim authenticity uh, like as a like food concept or as like a sense of place, um, except within the concept of like who we are, the vision we want to see come alive, and um, you know how we want it to exist in the world and you know what we espouse to believe.
1: So when you say authentic to who you are, is that different than being like, an authentic interpretation of a dish?
2: Uh, yeah. definitely, totally, totally. definitely. What um, I mean, authenticity of a dish is... I don't even know what that means anymore. Sure. Um, and it's definitely not anything that we would hire ourselves to or strive for. It's not our that's style. Not, yeah. yeah,
3: it's not our style. I think that, like, people see authenticity in different ways based on their own upbringings and based on their place in the world. And I think that Sarah and I um, both feel like we don't come from a place with like um a lot of like authentic food traditions um I certainly feel like I don't know I definitely don't and uh we kind of use that to to our advantage we like are able to take things that are traditional and turn them into something that we you know think has a place in the world and feels like yeah is our interpretation of whatever that thing is or you know that and and that is authenticity for us trying to pursue the things that we really believe in and really, we really want, both on like the actual like, dish and flavor and, and food front and on like the sourcing front, that's like a really big thing for us.
1: Oh, so how did you two meet?
2: <laughs> we met quite a few years ago now, actually. I know, it's crazy um, now. <laughs> I talk about it as this was a, a, a hard moment in my life. I had just, I had been working for a few years at this restaurant in Park Slope, a place called Applewood, And I was in a relationship and I was trying to have a more sustainable life. The person I was with was not in the restaurant industry and I was just trying to be involved in food in a different way and I briefly for maybe two months worked at the Brooklyn Kitchen and I was just miserable. I was like, felt like I was sacrificing my life. It was just horrible. I was very angry. (laughs) And I was working at the Meat Hook, which at the time was inside of the Brooklyn Kitchen. Right, right, right.
3: Um, And like, I didn't no, Sarah, we we just barely met and like just in passing we were kind of in two different like parts of this shared space. And I didn't know that she was a cook at all. Like, I didn't know she had any cooking background. But I think I told
2: you that I was. I don't, I, I don't <laughs> think so you I, did. I don't think, I don't,
3: like, I genuinely don't think you did. Anyway, there's clearly I some feel nebulous, some <laughs> nebulous <laughs> memories
2: happening here. I just wanted to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> she just wanted a lot
3: of, um, you know, recognition from me, and I did not give it to her. But honestly, like, there was like a two-week like two- <laughs> <laughs> period that we, like, crossed paths. It was, like, so short. very and, short. Like, she was, like, pricing things in the back room and I was like cutting cases of cabbage. Right. and it not a fun time. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the most fun for either of us. Um, and then when you were leaving to go work at Blue Hill where Sarah knew I had already worked, she like came up to me and she was like, oh hey, I'm gonna go work at Blue Hill. And
2: I was like, good luck. <laughs> and I was like, she's a fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I was like, genuinely, I, was, I had no idea that she had any cooking experience. I was like, I can't believe you're gonna go work there because it's really hard. And I was like, that's a bold move. It wasn't meant to be dickish. I was just like you're gonna need that luck
1: <laughs> and then did you two keep in touch or did you run into each oh, other no
2: and then i worked at blue hill I mean, you just afterwards. heard what she said yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and then but then i so then sarah sarah had been and then and was working in the andrew tarlow world shout out and to andrew tarlow shout out i time. Exactly.
1: i don't know how he does it
2: he's with incredible like, with
1: like the restaurants and the kids oh, and he's the always magician. looking dapper yeah. like he might have a secret twin. He's
3: got he's got magic.
1: He might have like a secret like stunt double.
3: He also has his wife who's amazing. Yeah, he
1: has his wife Kate too. Kate is
3: like, she's got her shit sewed together. And
1: yeah, but yeah. I, I love, I the love Perfect little man. family. Um, so. But
2: I knew a bunch of people also at that point in, in the Andrew Tarlow world and... It was a lot of crossover, a lot of it, friend crossover. So I like, worked at Blue Hill for a while and then I opened Mission Chinese. You also like heard more about me at Blue Hill as well when yes. you were working there. Yes. Only positive. Only, only of positive. Course.
1: So you two were from afar able to move forward from.
3: Truly, I never even thought about her again.
1: And so then, how did you connect in a way that you were like, we're not only going to be friends, but we can be partners?
2: Well, then, years later, after I opened Glasserie, and hands I found
1: still best rapid dish of all time.
2: Thank you. Very, very delicious.
1: And you made promises that it might come back to LA in some form.
3: It might come back to LA in some form. Yes. are
1: you talking? It, it will. Yeah. We can go.
3: We can get
1: there. We can get there. <laughs> but so then you two reconnected,
3: right? Well, and she came into she came in to eat. Yeah. She wanted to size me up. I
2: was like, oh, Sarah Kramer opened a restaurant. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no, no. I really, I was like, done
2: <laughs> a bunch of traveling, and I came back to New York, and I was like, where am I going to work now? Like Gramercy Tavern or. Glasserie. <laughs> <You know, laughs> two things that are on the same level. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: Anyway, I went in, I ate a Glasserie, and I really loved the food. I really felt connected to it, to the voice, Sarah's culinary voice. So sweet when you say things like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, someone who had worked at the Brooklyn Kitchen was a server at Glasserie, and he recognized me, and he was like, hey, Sarah. And they told me, he was like, do you remember that girl, Sarah, who worked at uh, the Brooklyn Kitchen? And I was like... I don't think so
3: and then she walked into the kitchen after her meal I mean I treated her nicely because you know Kendall recognized her yeah of course I was like yeah I think I think maybe I was like circus girl right and he was like yeah and I was like cool and so then after her meal she came into the kitchen and I was like of course and she's like looking so cute and I was like oh we can be friends now.
4: awesome
3: and she was also like telling me that she um was looking for a job and then I like immediately set to trying to convince her with like every fiber of my being to work yeah, um, to work with me because I was like desperate. I had had already like two sous chefs. Uh, this is like in three months, I was on my third sous chef. I had like the first one after one day, like get arrested and never show up again. And the second one was like pretty old and like really not.
2: dire. Really? Yeah, it was,
3: it was dire. He was like pretty old. Not that there's anything wrong with like people who are a little bit older working in the, in the industry. I feel like we're, we're getting there ourselves. Yeah, but um, he just like was. Uh, an old dog, and like not really, not really having it, and I'm not hip to the not yeah.
1: no, not hip to the scene.
3: Yeah, and uh, but I like was desperate. It was like me in the beginning, <laughs> when my sous chef quit. It was like me, this guy Kelvin, who is like a legend in uh, the Brooklyn food scene, as it or the, the greater New York food scene, as it is. And you know that's like a whole nother interview just talking about <laughs> this Kelvin. Is Kelvin. And this guy Kenji, who is like an artist prep cook. Dishwasher, and then he would also like do salad. So like, and he glasses, lived, like an hour. Away. And he lived like an hour away, and he was like Eeyore. Um, and he would, for the first few weeks while I was like really trying to figure it out, he would like go between the dish pit and the salad station, and I was like doing half GM and Expo on the saute station. Just like, me- it was miserable. It was crazy. And it's like a pretty big restaurant, you know. And it was it was a lot. So I like was in desperate desperate need and Sarah saved me. Awesome.
2: And that lasted a few months and then we
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a very sad, sad moment when I heard that was, things were changing at yeah. class It was a sad
2: moment. Well. We gotta
1: go. Yeah. And is that when you both decided that it was time to go to to leave the town and to go to start going LA? Yeah,
3: yeah, I mean we like can we were considering our options. I think we were also like forming the idea of working together as partners and um, what our next move really was gonna be
2: and but it was generally I would say it was a quick decision. Yeah. I think for a moment you we were like, well do we stay in Brooklyn? I mean we left I left Glassbury in March. And I left
3: like a few weeks later. Yeah. And then we moved here in July. July. I mean I left Brooklyn at the end of May, like May thirty first or whatever. Wow. It was like my last day in Brooklyn.
1: Alright, well we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna hear a song from Helios and the Savo Affair and then we're gonna talk about your move to LA and then getting started.
4: Cool,
5: and cool.
1: The, the L.A. food scene. Right. Uh, you are here with the Sarahs. People refer to you as that? Yeah. All the time? Yeah, the But same. one is an H and one is no H. Yeah. Correct, but you can, you know,
3: parenthesize
1: it. Yeah, 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 I see it. Uh, here on Snacky Tooth.
4: Snacky Tooth!
1: Sarah and Sarah of Mad Capra here in L.A. at the famous, infamous Grand Central Market. You and can get, famous. And famous. I think it's it's one of those two places that, that gets both famous and infamous.
2: I think, I think it had fair. some. I, had, I think fair. it had some
1: infamous years. Um, and, uh, as
2: in downtown L.A. <laughs> as, a,
1: as downtown L.A. Um, so you two moved out here a little, about a year, year and a half two ago? Years two ago. years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. Two years ago. And... Did you have the idea to open up this restaurant, and even in this location, before you moved out here, or was it?
3: Yeah. You, you came out. I mean. Yes, there's... kind of. Well, um, we'll give you the, the quick, the quick uh, rundown. We like did a kind of crazy thing um, <laughs> right before we left New York. It was May two thousand fourteen, um, and we did a, like an ESOP collaborative dinner at Bon Appetit magazine and like their test kitchen and. Um, they were like, Do you have news for us? They like wanted it to be like a press event in addition to it being this this dinner there. Um, and we were like, well I guess we could
2: announce that we're gonna open a place in LA. <laughs> <Talk>. <laughs> it's gonna be a falafel shop and a yeah, restaurant. <laughs> we, we like just
3: announced we were opening like either two restaurants or like a tandem concept restaurant. Which um, was the original idea. The original idea was like a, a falafel a very grand. shop. Restaurant combination.
1: So sort of like a secret hidden falafel restaurant. Not like,
3: secret exactly, but more like uh, Roberta's pizza kitchen kind of combo. You know, like sure, a sure.
2: casual in the front, a little bit more like a mullet, like yeah. <laughs> casual in casual the front, front party, party in the back. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. I got you. I got you. Business
3: in the front. Yeah. I think business but in the front. Bit. Yes. A little
1: of r- reverse mullet.
3: Yeah.
2: Some exactly. kind of a mullet.
1: <laughs> um, so you announce it, and then you're like oh, shit, we sort of just threw down the gauntlet.
2: Well, yeah, we were like, we got to just decide what we're doing and then do
3: it. We were also just, like, um, totally down to be like, this is what we're doing, and just make it happen.
1: So how did you decide on not only the final concept, but how did the uh, partnership with Grand Central Market happen?
3: So they actually, when we announced that, um, they actually reached out to us, and I don't know if it was, like, a direct, like... Causality, um, But I think someone had heard that we were moving here and wanted to open a falafel shop. And Kevin West, the guy who, like, helped bring in the new tenants and, like, curate the market. um, He heard about us through this food friend of his, um, who I assume heard that we were moving to L.A. because of this press. Um,
2: Um, And they had concept a space in the market that they that was going to be available
3: yeah they they wanted a falafel place and they wanted um they were like talking apparently to someone else we don't really know who um but when they heard about us they like were pretty aggressive um and interested and we you know we were moving from new york and obviously we had heard about grand Central market and we thought really hard for a while, for a few months, on um, whether it was the right move. You know, there's a lot of contract negotiation with this place. Um, and I think we were like back and forth a lot on whether it was the right decision for us. Um, but LA is a its a—it's a fickle town and like choosing location here is not easy, especially if you aren't like, very familiar with it. And we recognized that at that time. We were like, we don't know LA well enough. Um, and. This is, it's and it's really
2: clear that there are people eating food in, the, in this space. Yep. <laughs> totally.
3: And also, it like dropped us into this really great community. It dropped us into like some visibility really quickly. It was, we think, still to this day a great decision. Um, and we're really happy to be a part of Grand Central Market, and it's been really good to us.
1: So, what was it like opening up? Well, let's actually talk before opening up. But how did how did you two decide officially that you two are going to be restaurant partners
3: um i think we just liked working with each other at glassery um i think we did anyway (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and um you know we wanted to keep working with each other and i think that the only way to do that is to you know form a partnership it's like sarah and i are on very similar levels um i happened to get a restaurant opportunity to be the, the chef of First, But um, that's all kind of like circumstantial and doesn't speak to our uh, individual abilities. And I think that um, we just wanted to pursue and see, you know, I think we have a good creative rapport. Definitely
2: a good creative rapport. I also think that intellectually a partnership was appealing to us uh, in terms of sustainability and um, collaborative potential. Yeah, and like, Um,
3: yeah, sustainability is kind of a big one in terms of choosing a partnership um, over, like, the glory of, like, going it alone. Um,
1: I think going it alone is sort of for suckers.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and It's very lonely. And it's lonely, and, like, uh, as much work as a partnership takes, it's like, you know... It takes a lot of work. (laughs) It
1: does take a lot of work for anyone anyone who has a partner.
3: (laughs) But it's also, like, way more rewarding, and it's really nice to share the experience with someone.
1: It's great. Now, seeing how none of you did any stages at Oasis or Moods or things like that, um, you don't know
3: that. <laughs> did you? No.
1: Okay. How did you? How did you pick falafel? Like, what made you go well, down that route? Oh.
3: So, glassery um, was like Middle Eastern inspired sure. in concept, um, and so I think that we both thought it would be a good idea for us to continue pursuing um, kind of the Middle Eastern Avenue. There's so much within uh, this like- Larger cuisine. Yeah, larger cuisine. It's it's like a giant geographical area and um, there's just a lot to explore and a lot to discover. And we were trying to think about a casual concept um, that would make sense that we could open
2: and it could be manageable and um, falafel really made sense. But I would also say that this, we are very much a non-traditional falafel shop, and I don't think there are other people that are doing that, so that was exciting for us. Non-traditional. The potential.
1: Can you give an example of the non-traditional?
3: Sure. I mean, we well, we bread. make our bread, which like, most people don't. There are some places. I know there's like a place on Atlantic that does it yeah. in Brooklyn, yeah. but that's the only place I can really think
2: of. So we make our bread, but I would say that and, like, the our flavor, combinations. flavor combinations are non-traditional. Like, we do a sandwich that has fennel seed, labneh, and grilled cauliflower, and pickled right. fennel, and lots of um, mint and cilantro.
3: Right. We do one that's, like, spiced carrots with, like, a walnut yogurt and dill. You know, it's just, like, not, not traditional combinations. We just wanted to, like, have it all be much fresher as well. We, like, really focused on the texture and the quality of our falafel. We use organic locally sourced chickpeas um, which is like not traditional at all um, in terms of you know how people think about falafel as well people think of it as like a cheap street food and you know our food isn't cheap um, and we don't want it to be truthfully I mean we like totally respect that kind of falafel and that kind of uh, approach to dining into food like we like see that place and we eat that way also um but in terms of like furthering the vision of like what we want to see in the world like we want to source our product really well we want to support people we um respect and um you know want to uh continue pushing uh the culinary world forward Mm -hmm. um and i think that there's so much potential in the fast casual world to incorporate like higher ideals of cuisine and higher ideals of sustainability and sourcing that um, it felt like a really like good, big opportunity for us
2: to be able to do that.
1: And so with over a year under your belt, how do you feel that people have responded to that?
2: I think really well. Yeah, definitely really well. This market is interesting also because it really serves the cafeteria for people that work in downtown. So I think that we also get a lot of people that aren't thinking that hard about what it is that we're doing who are just like, Oh great. A vegetarian option. Sure. Like, Oh, that place is good. It's cool for us to get people who stumble upon us and we do a lot. Um, I would say that is um, most of our daytime business.
3: Yeah. And like people like a lot of repeat business from the people who work in the neighborhood. Um, But it's, it's nice that we get a pretty diverse cross section of, Um, customers and not just people like if we had opened in Silver Lake Echo Park or something or Los Feliz where our new restaurants gonna be I think that um, it would have been much more of uh, like a place that people knew that they were coming to as opposed to a place that like people will find because they're in the market
1: right right now you have another project coming up with uh, these two (laughs) up-and-comers John and Benny Guys to watch.
3: Guys to watch. Guys to watch. I think
1: I think they might do some good stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. I and mean, we'll see. We'll you know? see.
1: Um, and this takes you over a little bit more closer to, to where my wife and I live. Yes. Uh, Great news. On, on the east side.
4: Yeah.
1: Um, so what's this project gonna be? And you're also near one of the best restaurants out there as well, which is Homestay.
3: We love Homestay. We're on the same day. block.
1: I know. It's
3: awesome. <laughs> and we love uh, Homestay. We love
2: Brianna. Good good block. And we're, I'm just. That, I want a chicken sandwich right now. Oh man
1: They're You want to talk about Just We could
2: could like have a whole
3: Episode of just us Talking about her food
1: It's really good And they're opening up another location as well Yeah Um, So what is Can you announce Do you know what the name Of the restaurant is It's
3: called Kismet Okay And um, it should be opening This fall Knocking on gonna wood Or or whatever Material this is Plastic
1: (laughs) Plastic puzzle And how did that come about
3: well, also very organic. Very man. organically, for sure. We, uh, pretty much, like, right after moving here, Vinny um, actually reached out via Instagram. I think that he had uh, heard about Glassry. was kind of following um, that story a little bit, and reached out on Instagram um, when he saw, like, I posted something from, like, Koreatown, because that's where I live, and he was like, oh, you live here now, and uh, was like, let's get breakfast. And, like, super cool of him, like, this, like, really well-known chef dude just, like, reaching out to Of course. Me. So that's, I, like, so... Vinny's... Uh, he's, like, the biggest hearted and wonderful. Such a nice guy. Um, and so he and I got breakfast and he, you know, we were, like, having a very nice conversation. He was like, you guys should come in and do uh, 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 a friend's the- dinner. Yeah, like, a dinner with friends pop-up thing in Animal. Um, so we scheduled that and they hosted us for a one-night pop-up that went super well and, like, same night, John was like, you guys want to open up a restaurant with us? And we're
2: like, uh, yeah. You
1: know, yeah. Yeah, sure.
2: <laughs> we mean, were like, we had also been thinking about a lot of other partnerships yes. and then when this was an opportunity, very easily, we were like, this is right. Yeah.
3: I mean, we had definitely like had a lot of other things kind of come our way and like a lot of things that we were debating and, um, this felt way more natural.
1: And so what's the premise going to be or the approach?
3: So it'll be uh, also kind of Middle East, Mediterranean inspired in terms of like the flavors. Um, it's going to be an all day restaurant. Um, so breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which is a beast, but also very exciting in terms of servicing the neighborhood, which mm-hmm. we're like super happy to be like a neighborhood hub. Yeah. And um, also because that block is going to be so great. It's going to be like really nice to like be open all day with our uh, our neighbors who are there like, Go get 'em! Tiger is opening there. I don't know if sure. it's going to be Go Get 'em or if it's going to be GMB, but it's going to be a Go Get 'em. Um, go get 'em! And uh, Home State, Bar There's going to be a McDonald's oh, ice cream, and then the Silver Lake Music Conservatory is right next to it So, so awesome. It's a great block, and so it's going to feel like really a home. Um, and it's going to be sharing oriented for the most part, especially at dinner. I think a little less so during the day, but lots of uh, vegetables. Lots of vegetables. Yeah, pretty pretty fresh, pretty light. Awesome.
1: Fun, yeah. Bustling. Fun, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> I I'm Robert. Listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Um, where can people find more info about Mad Capra? Instagram.
3: Instagram's great. It's we're at, at madcapra LA. Try spelling it. But um, our website is also madcapra.com, M A D C A P R A dot com. And then Kismet also. Awesome. Kismet. Yeah. Kismet Los Angeles. Awesome. On Instagram.
1: Very excited. Very excited about it. And uh, I can't wait to eat maybe the rabbit dish. Maybe the rabbit dish. Maybe the rabbit (laughs) dish. It could happen. And if not all the time, then maybe it's a special. Uh, We have uh, a track from Porches coming up here. Love Porches. Oh, yeah. (laughs)
2: Great.
1: I was in... My wife and I were on our honeymoon and we are flying back. We were in Tokyo at the Narita airport and they were playing a a track... Oh. I, uh, uh, in the airport That's so cool I know And it was like Cause you know You spend the whole time you like You hear music out When you're in another country and you're like I don't know anything else is like Black Eyed Peas Or something like <laughs> yeah. that And then to be like Wait what?
3: Yeah Who got to choose the music today? I don't know And like, they've made it Yeah, yeah I guess uh, so <laughs> That's uh, awesome news
1: But yeah But chat out the Porches uh, Here on Saki Dudes <laughs>
5: I couldn't help from noticing you across the bar Hello, I'm running, I'm falling apart Do you want me bad like I want you? You said I'm Edith and I've always been a mess Well nice to meet you, maybe we'll undress But we could just slide down We both could use the rest So I hope on. I hold on to a dim witch. I felt to greatness when I laid within your grassy
4: realm
5: Crawled across the floor to a patched up helm Your hips the balmy swell in porno hell And I said, hey, would you want to join the loner metal band? And you said maybe we could just hold hands. Well, if that's the only place they'd land, I'd die a happy So I hold on, I hold on to a dim cigarette, and I take a deep breath 'cause I know you can't. I know.
4: This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard
5: and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature it cannot be stamped out in a factory if you're listening to this great show you probably eat different i urge you to drink different too go deeper
1: cane5.com welcome back to snacky tunes cameron or welcome to the show thank you um one of the things i liked when kind of reading up about you is that you had to make like a crucial decision about which instrument to pursue when you were in college. Uh, how did you choose uh, between the violin and the piano? Or how did you come to the... to deciding to go with the violin? Um... I don't know. I think at that
6: point it was just felt like more of a... Um, for by that, by that time it just felt like more of a soul instrument, I guess. A soul instrument? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um... Uh, like, I uh, I always really liked... I guess the thing that I had liked about piano um, is the big sound that you could get out of it. Yep. Um, You know, the fullness of the chords and everything like that. Um, but uh, I guess by the time I got to uh, the end of high school, I guess I just felt like violin was more like a singing instrument. So I think that's probably why.
1: I think you could definitely determine someone's personality by how they play the violin and a bit of uh, who they are, what they feel, more than some other instruments. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, as you kind of moved into the piano, I know that you also uh, incorporated, like, different pedals and looping, so, like, how did you come across that and how did you work that into, you know, your classical training? Um,
6: I think it's... Uh... Well, two things I think it's somewhere in the back of my mind um im had member uh, a good friend of mine i had um in college like show me Andrew bird stuff um and I think that got stowed away somewhere um for sure uh but uh actually getting into the pedal things was um you know uh something that, ha- that happened i guess after college and just kind of um through a series of life events um so the first thing was I guess I I had gotten some pedals just to affect the sound a little bit when I started doing jazz in the end at the end of college um and uh the the two pedals that I had gotten first were I guess reverb and delay um but delay has that uh um looping feature on it mm-hmm. so I was definitely you know playing around with that and sometimes just for practice like uh you know lay down a bass line or whatever and then improvise over the changes but uh um so I that was kind of the the first playing around with it but I think also just appealed to me because harmony always has been a big thing for me especially like playing piano and stuff and playing around with chords so um but uh, I didn't have a I didn't actually get a, a like actual looping pedal for a long time but definitely it was like oh man it'd be cool if, because also the delay features are so cool. It would be cool if I could, you know, use both. And not only that, like, because I was doing jazz at the time, a lot of heads are longer than the 40 seconds that mm-hmm. here. Right. Delay <laughs> um, pedal gives you. So um, so that was, like, a thing. And then uh, after college, uh, or, yeah, this is after college, this is in my, um, I guess maybe my... Second year teaching or something. So after college, I, I uh, was teaching in the public schools for as a music teacher for like three years. I think in the second year or something. Um, it's uh, a woman, uh, Emily, had reached out to me, um, who uh, you know now is a good friend, but that at that time was kind of like out of the blue, um, and uh, she was looking for a violinist to incorporate into her, her band um, called Emily Danger and uh, she had got my name from um, from an ex-boyfriend that I'd done some like gigs and stuff with so anyway so I ended up playing with, um, with her and, and um, guys adding more, defe- more effects um, and uh, I forget at what point I got the loop pedal um, but definitely was thinking about you know, using that in the context of the band And uh, just to fill up the sound more, and um, for a while, it was a little. Sort of confused by it. Mainly, I couldn't figure out how to erase stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so I, this I, won't <laughs> stop. <laughs>
6: so I finally uh, consulted the manual, and you know, fit of desperation, and
1: it was pretty simple fix. Um, but yeah, like if I only had some tool to teach me how to do yeah. this. Uh, no. Um, Let's hear a song. Yeah, what, but, what, I'd love to hear uh, something with yeah. the with the loop pedal. What are you going to play?
6: So I'm going to play a tune called uh, Solidarity. Um, So I had a couple years ago this show, I think, yeah, about two years ago at at Rockwood Music Hall. And basically this was towards the the beginning of the the Fight for 15, which is a movement to raise um, the minimum wage to $15 an hour Mm -hmm. and get everybody in a union and stuff like that. So this had gone out to them, and so it's kind of been a dedication piece since then, so...
1: So there's a strong link between music uh, and activism in your work, uh, especially with the last piece you played. Uh, how do you balance it, and, you know, what lessons do you learn and kind of, you know, it be coming off as a way to get your message through and, you know, using music as the medium?
6: Um, so that's something that I'm still trying to kind of figure out because um, they all take a lot of time. <laughs> right. um, so, um, and... Uh, none of those things are necessarily things that pay very well, so then you also still have to figure out where your money is coming from. So, um, so I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, definitely a balance, uh, that I'm, uh, still trying to figure out, but, um, um, what I've been doing, uh, lately is just kind of, basically, at shows, um, uh, just saying a little bit about, uh, giving a piece off to you know some particular struggle that's going on and and try to you know give a plug as to how people could get involved with that um and uh but I think definitely um you know being being involved myself is an important part of that you know so because it, it, i mean obviously um talking about these things like talking about these things whether it's a struggle for you know, fair wages or for racial justice or, um, you know, defending democratic rights and stuff like that, no matter what it is, it's like, calling attention to the issues is important, but also, without, like, also need action. <laughs> so, um, so, I guess, yeah, just, um, using, using it as a medium not only to talk about things going on, but I encouraging people to actually, you know, get plugged in somewhere and, and doing some work would be good.
1: And, um, How much do you, when you find that balance, does it inspire certain pieces that you're writing? Like, especially the piece you just played. um, How is the inspiration of, you know, $15 minimum wage? Like, the different, like, song structure, balance, mood, things like that in your song?
6: Um, I think it's less... uh, It's not so much like... um, uh, And I have tried to do this. It doesn't always and it hasn't worked, at least not yet, is to actually, like, try to write a piece for something. Sure. It's more like I have these songs, and then as I'm playing them, because I'm also, just because of busking, like, I'm playing them, like, almost, like, like, three, four times a week or whatever. So then as I'm playing it, I'll have images coming to mind, you know, um, or thoughts or whatever, and it just, um, at some point, I feel like there's a connection. Um, So... It's a, and also especially because most of my stuff doesn't really have lyrics. Mm-hmm. So it's more yeah, it's more of just like a feeling and usually that connection comes after the song already exists. But
1: yeah. That's great. Uh can we hear another
6: song? Yeah. Uh what are you gonna play? So this is a tune called Astroturf. This one actually has a title and this mm-hmm. is um this is uh this is just a, a typical um uh Love Lost song, but there's no you could look up the lyrics they are like on my site or Tumblr or whatever you could find them, but I, I don't really sing up. But anyway. Sure. So this is Astrodurf.
1: awesome so what do you have coming up what's the rest of your summer look like
6: um in in terms of music stuff uh i'm doing a show at uh, rockwood um music hall on september 3rd um at nine i believe i have to check that time again um and uh in terms of uh the rest of my life i guess just trying to stay alive <laughs> and and then also um uh, i mean if people feel like getting involved um i've also been part of an effort to uh, organize peace vigils around the city um in response to the ongoing police violence and stuff like that and basically um a lot of people are, are talking about how um you know we need more than spontaneous responses to incidents of violence and stuff we need um kind of more of a sustained strategy and stuff like that so it's kind of an effort to do that um And uh, you could find, you could uh, get involved at bit.do slash peacevigil and basically sign up. Um, So doing that and then also uh, be going down to Richmond, Virginia on August uh, 12th uh, 12th and 13th where um, low wage workers will be developing a platform uh, going forward for the Fight for 15 which is, you know, not only fighting for um, union rights and and better wages but also been involved with um, fighting for immigration justice and um, racial justice and uh, like fighting for affordable uh childcare and affordable housing stuff so, like that all the things that affect you know all of us. Um, so uh, so anyway so uh, August twelve and thirteen be in Richmond in Virginia um, for that and uh, there's buses going down. You can get involved with that too if you feel like but anyway so there's some things going on with me and then yeah besides that just basically trying to keep them keep uh, keep food in my mouth.
1: Hearing, man. Well listen <laughs> last uh, last question though. Yeah. Favorite place to busk?
6: Most receptive um, It kinda I, I like hor a lot actually. Um mm. it's uh um A you don't get a whole lot of competition. <laughs> like it's kinda hard to get on the <laughs> Metropolitan spot in the G sometimes. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's a it's been a cool spot for me. Um I uh, also play at Atlantic Barclays a lot. Um uh the BQ um is a pretty resonant platform. Um
1: yeah, those are some of my Dave the Engineer approves. Say it again. Dave the Engineer approves. Uh. yeah. Um, Cool. Well, um, where can people find your music? Um, You already announced where you can get more of your activism work, but where can people find your music? Find you. We're busking. Yeah. Put food in your mouth.
6: It's uh, CameronOrMusic.com or or it's two R's. Um, And yeah. And uh, all my contact info and shows and stuff.
1: Awesome. So we want to make sure that we get one last song in, but thank you to the Fine People at Heritage. Anna, Meatball, Mom, Dad, Ornella, everyone. Appreciate it. Uh, what song are you going to take us out with?
6: Uh, I'm going to do, our covers okay? Yeah. Covers are okay. great. So I'm going to do a cover of a Radiohead tune um, called Subterranean Homesick.
1: Okay. Perfect. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes.